In the last week or so, we've seen major outbreaks of COVID-19 among uh, the elite in D.C., including Democrats in Congress, the Biden administration. How does it feel to read about that news, knowing that the administration has been so critical of your approach to the pandemic? So just let me say very clearly to all Floridians, you just saw Philadelphia impose an indoor mandate. You're going to have potentially some of these other deep blue jurisdictions go back to restrictions and mandate. You look what's happening in Shanghai, they have everybody under a brutal lockdown. So I just want to be very clear, as long as I sit in the chair in which I sit, no Floridian will be restricted, mandated, or locked down in any possible Hello there. Welcome to part five. This is the Floridian governor, Ron DeSantos. And so when you see some of these folks who want to impose that, and let's just be clear, you look over the last two years, there is a cottage industry that was developed of lockdown politicians and media personalities who would either impose or support lockdown policies in their jurisdictions or advocated on their TV shows, criticize Florida mercilessly, and then the first chance they get to get out from under the yoke of those bad policies, you see them in Miami or Palm Beach or all these other places. This sort of behavior has been rife during COVID-19. For us in the UK, we recognize it too. It is now a fact. Through their pain, our leaders party. There's palpable anger, anger right across these islands at the behavior of the Prime Minister that put in place. It's a busy Easter break for the Prime Minister. Boris Johnson is expected to apologize to MPs today. For the, for the first time since being fined for his role in the Partygate scandal. Early evening on Tuesday, Boris Johnson released a statement. Uh, today, I've received a fixed penalty notice from the Metropolitan Police relating to an event in Downing Street on the 19th of June. Just wish I could have been there to hold out. I look at my memories of my mum and I cry. And the members opposite can chunter from their positions, but they're allowing this to happen. Because they're not happy memories. He's robbed me of that. We now come to the urgent question. I should have banged that door down in the hospital and said I'm seeing my husband because they broke the rules and got away with it. If I had a dollar for every lockdown politician that escaped their own policies to come to our free state, I would be set for life. Mr. Speaker, now there's a police investigation and the terms of reference for Sue Gray set by the Prime Minister himself are clear. The issue is, is if they thought their policies really were necessary and these mitigations really were effective, they would be abiding by it. They're not abiding by it because they know it's all about politics and control. So that's why they don't wear the mask. That's why they don't do all this stuff because they know it is COVID theater. So this is where we are now. COVID nonsense goes, COVID nonsense comes back, it goes, it comes back. But why the persistence if people aren't on board anymore? So I'm hearing these reports that uh, life insurance companies are having skyrocketing rates of payouts yeah. and policies. 
what's happening? Well, if they're going to pay them out, in all likelihood, they won't pay them out. The reason why they won't is twofold. Number one, the margins are too thin in that business. You're making a percent and a half or something like that when you're underwriting this kind of risk. Secondarily, every contract like this, whether it's morbidity or whether it's mortality contracts, having the exclusions that we're not going to pay a claim if you undertook experimental therapy. And there was a case came out, I guess, about three weeks ago. It'll be a landmark case. And the judge looked at this and, and effectively called the person who took the experimental shot, who died, called it a suicide. He characterized it as a suicide because you knew or should have known that you were taking part in a, in a highly dangerous activity called a phase three clinical trial. And still there's millions and millions of reports of vaccine injuries. Which we all, right. we know that they're experimental and yet people yes. are still taking them. And by the fact that they declare them to be experimental, it nullifies the coverage in the life insurance policy. I never thought about this. This is the way they'll get out of it. Once they realized that the vaccines were damaging people, I mean, forgetting that they actually knew this before they were released, but let's just pretend anyway. So they've just realized that they're, they're damaging people. Why haven't they been taken off the market? Create a digital ID today that is much more easily protected so you can deal with a lot of the privacy and surveillance issues that worry people but it's a it's a natural evolution of the way that we're going to use technology in any event to transact daily life and this covid crisis gives an additional reason for doing that tony blair's a well-known globalist and a well-known twat responsible for war crimes but anyway he gets on the the news anyway because he's a powerful globalist so, what's all this about? Okay, there's two key ideas at play here. I think unless you're able to record some of this data in a way that people can use, it's going to be difficult to, to go back to anything like a, 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 a near normal. Transhumanism represents the great reset of humans in the same vein that technocracy will reset the economic, social and governance of society. Hacking the human's genome will have disastrous effects on our long-term survival. COVID injections based on mRNA represent the first major effort to artificially transform the human body into a dependent and controllable entity. Now, up till now in history, the humans were so complicated that from, from a practical perspective, it still made sense to believe in free will because nobody could understand you better than you understand yourself. You had this inner realm of desires and thoughts and feelings, which you had privileged access to this inner realm. You know, transhumanists don't have to put a microchip into your arm to gain immeasurable control. They'll just end up putting the microchip in your arm. I mean, now they can already alter reality and brainwash the population via data collection and the manipulation of information. Yeah, but that, that, but that's, that hasn't changed today, right? Like that access it has is changed. still... There is no longer the privileged access now belongs to corporations like Google. They can have access to things happening ultimately inside my body and brain, which I don't know about. His all-round psycho and controller of lives, Yuval Noah Harari. You might recognize him from a few books and that. He's done quite well. Uh, he's also a member of the World Economic Forum. We're going to sort of hone in on these guys. There is somebody out there, not just one, 
all kinds of corporations and governments that maybe not today, maybe in five years, 10 years, 20 years, they will have privileged access to what's happening inside me more privileged than my access. They could understand what is happening in my brain better than I understand it. Which means they will never be perfect. Right, but you will, as a, as a, a free person, right, like you will have delegated that access or that that ability to this corporation or this machine or this... No, it, it, you don't have to give them permission. I mean, in some countries, maybe you have no choice at all. But even in a, in a democracy like the United States, a lot of the information that enables an external entity to hack you, um, nobody asks you whether you want to give it away or not. Now, at present, most of the data that is being collected on, on humans is still from the skin outwards. We, we haven't seen nothing yet. We are still just at the tip of, of, of this revolution. Because at present, whether it's Google and Facebook and Amazon or whether it's the government or whatever, they are, uh, are trying to understand people mainly on the basis of what I, what I search, what I buy, where I go, who I meet. It's all external. The really big revolution, which is coming very quickly, will be when the AI revolution and machine learning and all that, the infotech revolution, meets and merges with the biotech revolution and goes under the skin. When biometric sensors or even external devices, now you, you, we are developing the ability, for example, to know the, uh, the blood pressure of individuals just by looking at them. You don't need to put a sensor on a person. Just by looking at the face, you can tell what is the blood pressure of that individual. And by analyzing tiny movements in the eyes, in the mouth, you can tell all kinds of things from the current mood of the person. Are you angry? Are you bored? To things like sexual orientation. So um, we are talking about a world in which humans are no longer a black box. Nobody really understands what happens inside, so we say, okay, free will. No, the box is open, and it's open to others, certain others, more than it is open to you. You don't understand what's happening in your brain, but some corporation or government or organization could understand that. Yeah? You cool with that? Because you don't have a choice. These agendas are being pushed by the most powerful people in the world out of the World Economic Forum. And you have all world leaders parroting these very lines out of the World Economic Forum because they too are members. It's an ideology. Uh, technocracy is a corporatocracy. Changes the way the world is run. Doesn't that sound scary? Doesn't it sound like you should be involved in how the future looks for yourself, your future, your kids' future, their children. This isn't very democratic. Maybe democracy is not the plan for the future. Keep listening. I want to walk you through it really slowly. We have a golden opportunity to seize something good from this crisis. It's unprecedented shockwaves may well make people more receptive to big visions of change. Here's Prince Charles. Global crises like pandemics and climate change know no borders and highlight 
just how interdependent we are as one people sharing one planet. Here's Justin Trudeau. To discuss how leaders around the world could work together to close these gaps and build a better, more equitable system that works for everyone. After all we've been through, it isn't enough just to go back to normal. We've lost too much. We've mourned too many. We've been through too much frustration and hardship just to settle for the status quo ante, to think that life can go on as it was before the plague. It's called the Gagalian dialect. You create a problem like a fake pandemic. You offer a solution, and then the new normal is a sort of middle ground between the two. We see these moments as the time to learn and to improve on the world that went before. One of which you would have never, ever, ever been able to achieve without the original fake pandemic. This government will build back better. Ah, that's the phrase I was looking for. Come on then, pay attention. Build back better. We also want to work together on building back better. Joe Biden. Then we can start to build back better than before. Harry. For us to work together and build back better. The Prime Minister of New Zealand. Build back better. <laughs> As the world recovers, we have a chance to reset the clock and build back better. Sadiq Khan. Building back better our economy. We owe it to future generations to build back better and base our recovery on solid foundations. The second plan can build back better. Let's build back better. Building back better after disasters. Together, we can build a safer world. Four sets of priorities can guide the response to build back better. You know what Donald Trump will do with four more years? Gee, what will he do, Bill Clinton? Blame, bully, and belittle. Oh. And you know what Joe Biden will do? Don't tell me. Build back better. Ugh. You corny cunt. What's your greatest concern at this time? Well, we'll have another pandemic. Uh, it will be a different pathogen next time. Chief techno twat Bill Gates. The, we'll have some rebound. This, this pathogen, we don't have a tool to do eradication. We'd like to have a, a new generation of vaccines. We need to keep vaccines at the forefront of everything. When we build back better with our pandemic preparedness thing and more money and more control and less freedom and climate change and ah, electric cars and get rid of the fuel and fucking cripple people. Ah, stop. Oh, okay. Build back bear. What do they mean? It's like you wake up every morning and you, you, you go like this, you pinch yourself and it's, it's like literally almost you say, am I crazy today? It's like every day I'm falling off my chair. I, I, I can't believe like really, you know. You make me cry like a baby. Don't you, honey? You let me down on my knees. If you don't know the basics on technocracy by now, seriously, you know, come on, go buy Patrick Wood's books on technocracy as, as soon as you finish listening to this podcast. There are also numerous great interviews. Uh, that, that Patrick has given explaining the basics. Uh, I really want people to do the groundwork. It is. In January 2020, 
when the whole COVID thing was just breaking. That's, uh, I think it was the 29th of January that the World Health Organization declared a pandemic. I was, <clears throat> I was already watching very closely the organizations that instigated the panic around the world. Places like, uh, you know, some of the universities in England, for instance, the, the climate alarmist crowd, mostly. And when I saw them jump over and mass, same, same MO, same people, in some cases, same computer models, when they jumped over onto the pandemic uh, thing, let's <laughs> just call it the thing, um, I knew that there was something big brewing, and I declared it almost immediately as technocracy's coup d'etat. I had predicted that. I think we probably talked about this before in my first book, uh, Technocracy Rising, the Trojan Horse of Global Transformation. I predicted there would be a day when the technocrats had um, achieved a majority or let's say a tipping point worth of uh, objectives and their agenda uh, to where they would declare basically game over. They would go for it. They, they you know, for, the, for those who ever played a game of hearts with cards, you call it shooting the moon, right? You know, when you got that last trump card, hey, the game is over. All you got to do is play out the cards. I saw that, that as being fulfilled and uh if i know somebody might be scratching their head well what are you a prophet no i wasn't not at all but you know i understand the technocrat mind it's typically an engineering slash scientific mind every month that goes by every week that goes by since then has confirmed my my suspicion and now I see it coming out of the mouths of all kinds or the pens of all kinds of writers around the world that there has been a global coup d'etat. The problem is they don't understand who's behind it. You know, it's like, I suppose it's like landing on the beach in Normandy, which we did once, right? You land on the beach and there are bullets flying everywhere and, you know, bombs and airplanes, whatever. All you conclude without knowing anything else, you say, I think we're at war. Somebody's shooting at us. But if you don't know the, who the enemy is, how are you going to take the beach? <laughs> you know, if you don't, if you can't recognize that enemy, if you don't know what their uniform looks like, for instance, um, or what the purpose of the war is, you're just going to sit there and scratch your head until somebody finally shoots you. <laughs> You're out of the game. The, the, minor, the minor trends, and I say minor trends because they're not causative. They're a symptom of. <clears throat> when we talk about robots and automation like that, physical automation, that's definitely a symptom of, and, and also a marker, <clears throat> that there are technocrats at work, you know, trying to provide solutions that nobody really asked for in the first place, especially displacing all the, all the entry-level jobs in society. That's pretty important. Um, but, you know, young people, like, you know, they, they can't go in bulk now to McDonald's to get their first job. They won't when the robots get done flipping the burgers. <laughs> Going to be a lonely, a lonely place for young people. The fourth industrial revolution, if, if we kind of jump from there over to the Great Reset crowd. And, and I want to purposely want to do that to talk about the World Economic Forum because they're, they're kind of embodying 
this whole thing we're talking about right now. They're, they're, they may not all be involved directly as causative, but there are some people certainly within that crowd that are at the very, very top of this global coup d'etat. <clears throat> and it, it has a very uh, a, a comparable mix to what we saw with the Trilateral Commission back in the 19, uh, back, well, 1973, when it was formed by Brzezinski and Rockefeller. They brought in legal firms, media firms, um, multinational corporations. They brought in um, <clears throat> some high-level politicians. There was a mix of people that they intentionally brought into the Trilateral Commission, and then they executed their plans, and basically they hid so that nobody could really you know, would be aware of what they're doing. Well, they were hiding back then. They're not hiding anymore. Now we see pretty much the same mix of people accumulating within the World Economic Forum. And the whole vision has been so uh, crystallized in their mind that they now can can be public. They can now write openly about what they're doing, and they are. And we don't have to guess anymore at all about what's going on. And so <clears throat> the World Economic Forum that is uh, talking about the Great Reset, they're talking about building back better, there's one key thing that people are missing in this battle, and that is that until capitalism and free market economics are slaughtered on the altar, the Great Reset cannot build back better. It, it, it presupposes that our current economic system is gonna be utterly crushed to death this was a this was kind of the scenario back in the 1930s when when technocracy originally came to be the great depression and by 19 after the great crash of 29 by 1932 uh, america was in the most desperate economic situation ever been in in its history it was horrible there were soup lines unemployment lines uh, people were dying of diseases and stuff they couldn't you know had no money to get medical help and so it was a horrible depressing time in our history and this is where the technocrat model was originally created for you know a resource-based economic system and they believed without any help by them, they believed that the economic system was dead. They thought it was just burned to the ground and they were gonna build back better back then. Well, <clears throat> capitalism and free market economics is like, um, it's like the biggest cruise ship in the world. <laughs> it doesn't turn real fast, you know? It, you can't sink it real fast. And so it keeps surviving over the decades. It's, we, we pulled out World War II, we had the, the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, there was ups and downs, but, and some pretty severe recessions, but it keeps on plugging along. And I am positive that these technocrats have been thinking for a long time, we're getting sick and tired of this. This, this monster to them, this monster of capitalism and free market economics has got to go once and for all, crush it get rid of it so we can implement our resource-based economic system. Some call it the green economy. Some call it sustainable development. I call it technocracy. 
Some people call it the fourth industrial revolution. It doesn't matter really what the name is. The end result is get rid of the old and bring in the new. We have a golden opportunity to seize something good. So what's happening today? Exactly it's this. The global well. economic system is being snuffed. And build a better, more equitable system. We've lost too much. We've mourned too many. We've been through too much frustration and hardship just to settle for the status quo ante. To think that life can go on as it was before the plague. After two years, how could this lockdown mentality continue to go everywhere? How could it, how could this be? How could people go along? And why would they go along? You know, knowing that it's crushing their business. I've watched businesses here in the Phoenix area go out of business because they said you're not essential. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> wow. What can you say to that? Say, people, don't let you, don't let them just run over you. I mean, you work 20 years building your business and you walk away from it. But this has been repeated, not just in America, but it's all throughout the world. Free market economics is suffering its final death, death throes right now. If they continue with the coup d'etat unrestrained. Unrestrained. That's the important word. No opposition create a digital ID today that is much more easily protected so you can deal with a lot of the privacy and surveillance issues that worry people. That any type of a, a major black swan event could sink the whole ship. It really could. And let's back up a little bit. I know you're, you and your, your audience <clears throat> uh, is a lot more up on the, the global stuff. <laughs> Uh, economic stuff than most. Last year, about mid-year, um, I did a couple of articles on the damage that was being done to the supply chain, the global supply chain. This supply chain was built as a result of the move towards interdependence that started in the early 70s with David Rockefeller and Zbigniew Brzezinski. There was no call for interdependence at that time. But they said, oh, this is the wave of the future. Trust us, you know, we're, we're gonna, we're gonna, you know, play to this big interdependence thing. And the idea was we're gonna integrate and, and pull together the economies of the world, kind of sew them together. Part of the craziness of this is, well, you know, if we do this, we can prevent future wars because if everybody's in everybody else's pocket, they can't afford to go to war with each other. Because, well, that didn't work out too well, but <clears throat> that was the idea. I, I was there. I, I read all that garbage at the time. Well, th this interdependence is what created the supply chain that we have in the world today where all these countries are shipping things back and forth, value added here in this country, and it goes to another country and it gets more stuff done and more parts or whatever. Um, this was part and parcel of globalization that was created since the 1970s. And it ran for the 70s, 80s, 90s, and it, by and large up to at least to 2010, let's say. And the supply chain got more and more compressed. It got more and more integrated. <clears throat> the whole concept of just-in-time manufacturing was just fine-tuned down to the minute almost. Um, and so 
Now, when we when we see this economic system that had been created, this interdependent system, it was all dependent, ultimately, on the supply chain working the way they said it had to work. When, when the supply chain started to have some hiccups in the middle of last year, and I started you know, reading some global economists uh, that, that pay attention to this sort of stuff, this is an earthquake waiting to happen. It's starting to happen in slow motion. If the supply chain fails, the global economy fails, period. That's globalization, that's what it was. It's true that the only real prison is fear. And the only real freedom is freedom from fear. We're seeing this every month. The supply chain is getting worse. There's more. And this is all true, ladies and gentlemen. But we must really prepare ourselves for an imminent danger. There's more signs of the, the cracks in the dike, if you will, and the water's coming out. And people continue to say, stock market still is making record highs on all cylinders. And yet the supply chain dam is about to burst and blow everything to kingdom come. And we don't know when that's gonna be. We don't know when the market is going to run. For instance, equities market is going to run out of steam. I was all alone. Where have you all been? Why have we not all been partying together this whole time? <laughs> you are here standing today because you want to make a medical decision for yourselves. What happens in California happens everywhere, and the world is watching. Movement of, of both liberal and conservative. It's, it's not a battle of left versus right, it's up versus down. Whatever political party you identify with, you are welcome here. Black and white, Muslim and Christian, Jews, everybody all in between. If you are vaccinated or unvaccinated, you are welcome here. The doctors are here today with the science. The scientists are here today with the facts. The preachers are here with the word. The advocates like you are here to fight for the truth. And I'm just standing here on this stage with the good old common sense that God gave us all. People are waking up, but I'm not talking about woke. I feel like it's amazing just to see the banners, the flags, and everyone just come together and try to be united, something we really need in our nation. Walking around here, I think I've gotten chills five or six times a day. It's such a beautiful sight to see. I've never seen anything like this. This is the most incredible event I've ever been to. The common feature of all totalitarian regimes is the inability to ask questions. The muzzling of speech, the muzzling of thought, is always where these regimes begin. This is a spiritual war. They want to strip away our humanity. Do you understand that? They want to turn us into cogs in some machine. 
They want to make it so that you have to wear a mask so that you can't see other people's emotion. They used our artists, they used our rappers, they used our TikTokers to try to enslave those among our younger generation, who y'all call millennials, to say, hey, it's cool, it's lit, it's dope to get a shot. We've watched the wealth of the world's 10 richest men double since the lockdown began. We have watched small businesses be destroyed, entire countries plunge deeper into debt, while the most vulnerable youth were deprived of their right to education. Why would they expect us to obey their mandates when they don't even obey the Bill of Rights? They don't even obey the Constitution. So shots, testing, masking, the little plexiglass dividers, it's all Bullshit. They said, never mind your liberty, never mind your freedom, never mind everything you've ever known. Follow us into a dark place. And that's where they took us. Except everybody standing here said, I'm not going to go. As a 10-year veteran in the Marine Corps and caring for our country and emergency services person, uh, this is important to stand up for our human rights, stand up for our constitution, and stand up for people being able to make free choices. We're losing a, a lot of our military, we're losing our police, we're losing our firemen, we're losing our teachers. They've all moved out of state. I'm working with SAG-AFTRA, IATSE. In order for us to work, we have to be vaccinated and we have to be boosted. So a lot of people are out of work. I mean, the Oscars were being sponsored by Pfizer? That was disgusting to me. It's the Wild West, and we've been told to kowtow to Big Pharma, show our medical papers to get a drink. It's absurd. I am just like you. I am just your average, ordinary, everyday, run-of-the-mill domestic terrorist. I'm sorry. Did I say that out loud? I'm sorry. I meant mom or concerned parent, but... Same thing these days, so what else? <laughs> Big Pharma spends 19 times more on advertisements than they do research. Americans make up 5% of the world population, but yet we consume more drugs than the rest of the world combined. The story of ivermectin is how powerful corporate propaganda is, ladies and gentlemen. They can make you think an essential medicine that has saved billions of people's lives is somehow poison. Anyone still requiring this scientifically expired shot has succumbed to insanity through either willful ignorance, paid off corruption, hunger for power, or just plain old malevolence. The biologic therapeutic that they're calling a vaccine is not safe enough and it's not effective enough to mandate it for anybody. And under no circumstances should a healthy child be given this product against an illness that they're not at risk using an experimental product that has no long-term safety studies. unfortunately in the United States of Pharma. The pharmaceutical industry is killing people. They do not care. They put profits ahead of people's lives. They do this rapaciously, relentlessly, and they're doing it today. And why are they hiding the hundreds of thousands of people who have had major side effects after they've had these jabs? Many people are dying. They know for a fact that it swells the hearts of your babies. 
And still, today, Senator Richard Pan wants to mandate that vaccine on all of your children. Hey, I'm Mark. I'm the narrator of the Cancelling the Light podcast. This is something I did originally because I, 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 because I actually wanted to equip people with information so that when they got stopped in a shop for not wearing a mask or uh, they didn't want a vaccine, that they could, they could get stuff from my podcast and I could fill them in and hopefully equip them in those those times. And that came from a need myself to do it as well. Uh, I got attacked quite a lot during the first year for uh, for not going along with it. This podcast has really become something quite different since. It's, it's taken the form of these sort of like produced documentaries. And I feel this is an even better way of getting the information out there. Sometimes I ask people, where do you think I should go next? What should I do? And what I find myself doing quite a lot is, is using the news that's happening now, like right now today, and using it to show you in different ways the past, the present, and the future. Now, this is an eight-part series. And so for the next four parts, I really want to try and get away from any specifics regarding COVID and war itself and, in a, in a, and, and start to show you the strategy from above and how we are in a war already, even though there's no tanks, and how this is going exactly to plan even though there is opposition. I also got a request to talk about artificial intelligence and the plans for that and how that will be integrated into our lives and is now. You know, people sort of sometimes hold onto an idea that a cyborg is someone with a chip inside their head. But if someone has 10 hours screen time a day, are they a cyborg half a day already? We will cover this as the podcast continues to grow and uh, if you do feel like you want to get in contact with me markjchadwick at me.com and I will respond I promise you. Thank you very much for listening. I'll see you next time. So that's why they don't wear the mask that's why they don't do all this stuff because they know it is COVID theatre.